0: Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist. I know we have a lot of people that are traveling today, but I'm so glad that you made it a priority to be here uh, to worship with us this morning. And before we get started, and by the way, our pastor is away, so be a he's at a conference so pray for him. Before we get started, I do want to take a few moments and join with a lot of churches across this country uh, today and pray for our friends down in the the gulf area houston particularly but also just the gulf of uh, texas mississippi louisiana uh, just hard to believe as we watch those images on tv that we were watching something that happened here in america um, last estimate i heard over half a, just in houston alone over half a million cars are gone and close to a hundred thousand homes are gone So it's going to be not just months but years of rebuilding and my heart goes out to those who've just lost everything, home, car, not sure when work will will start back up, just an incredible uh, incredible time for them and um, uh, we need to help. That's what we do as a church, Uh, I'm talking about the big church, we're here to help and if you... would like to give you may have already done that and that's great but if you would like to give there's some information inside your worship folder uh, how you can give through the North American Mission Board or through the International or through the Southern Baptist Convention Uh, that information you'll find in there but what I want to do more than anything is I just want us to pray I want to start our service off by praying uh, for those folks who've been affected by the hurricane Father we do come to you and pray Lord I pray for each person that's going through an incredible struggle right now. Uh, Lord, they've, many have lost everything, don't have flood insurance. Lord, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know you're a big God, that you can do a lot of things. And so, Father, we just pray for you as you work through the church and through those who love you to begin to help these people rebuild their lives. Father, I pray for endurance as many of them will get tired and weary of the task that is ahead of them. Father, I ask that you, you strengthen them, put an extra dose of grace in them to get through the journey that's ahead of them. And Father, and I pray that we as a church can do our part to help through prayer, through, through giving. Uh, Lord, these people have lost everything, and we need to help them. So, Father, move. Move in a mighty way so that people will stand back and give you the glory that you deserve. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, remember, because the media will stop talking about this in a couple of weeks. It'll be old news. But these guys are going to be building their lives for the next year, year and a half, probably two years. So uh, be in prayer, as many of them uh, have an incredible challenge ahead of them. This morning, we all have our own challenges. Life's challenges, life's storms. And I know some in this room are going through storms. Uh, we have uncertainties we have just the stress that comes with life and sometimes life can just kind of beat you up but this morning i want to give you a message of hope and encouragement and i have a very simple simple message for you today you know it's not the hard things in god's word that we struggle with it's It's the things that we understand. We just don't do them. And so this morning, we're going to look at a Old Testament character. I'm not sure you've ever had a sermon preached from the book of Ezra. Well, you're going to have one today. A very, um, very simple sermon uh, looking at a man by the name of Ezra, a man that the Bible says God's hand was upon him. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish they could say that about me one day that God's hand was upon him in every area of his life. The Bible is filled with stories of incredible characters who who put their trust in Christ and he directed their lives and did incredible things and Ezra is an example of someone who's done just that. God's hand was upon him and because God's hand was upon him That's why I've entitled this message, The Life That God Blesses. And we're going to look at the life of Ezra. You may be sitting there asking yourself, well, you know, Shannon, I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. God can't use me to do anything substantial, anything for his kingdom. And I'm here to tell you this morning, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what problems you might have right now, no matter your personality quirks that you have, what level of education you have, whether you're accepted by others or not, it does not matter. God can and will use you if you let Him. That's exactly what He did with Ezra. And I want you to turn uh, there in your notes. Uh, I I would ask you to find the book of Ezra, but it may take a while for some of you to find Ezra. So I just included the scripture there for you. And uh, you see it there on the screen. And we're going to read this and really dig into the last verse as we try to understand the life that God blesses. So beginning in uh, verse 8 of Ezra chapter 7. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which was in the seventh year of the king for on the first day of the first month he began to go up to Babylonia and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem here we go for the good hand of his God was on him in verse 10 for Ezra set his heart to study he ought to underline that The law of the Lord. And also to do it. You ought to underline that. And to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And you ought to underline the word teach. God's hand was upon Ezra. Ezra set his heart to study, he set his heart to do, and he set his heart to teach. And as we look at this, let me give you a little context and maybe some background, because you may not know a lot about Ezra. Well, the first thing you need to understand is that Ezra was among one of the three groups that returned back to Jerusalem. If you know your Bible history a little bit, when uh, when Babylon uh, destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, they took captives back with them you may remember Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego some of those names that they took back many be, they were there for 70 years and many believe that uh, Ezra was actually born in Babylon raised in Babylon but he was a Jew and uh, he spent his life being one of the main builders and what I call rebuilders uh, in the, the post exile area and you'll see these three rebuilders you may not know all of them but they're very important names. The first one is a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. That's a mouthful. But he came back in the first group in his job with the workers he had, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That's what he did. And then Nehemiah came back in another group, and his job, with his help, was to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Because you got to have walls for protection, you got to have the temple for worship So Ezra, what did he build? Well, he came back to rebuild the spiritual life in Jerusalem. And I don't have time to really do a lot. You ought to just write to the side, Nehemiah 8. If you get a chance, go back and read Nehemiah 8. You'll get a better idea just how this man was rebuilding the lives there uh, with the Jews returning to to Jerusalem. And his legacy is incredible. And I I don't have time to go through all of this, but let me just give you a few things. He, He was a scribe. So, he wrote copies of the first five books of the Bible when he was in Babylon. So, when a scroll would wear out or get damaged, a new one had to be, had to be written. And so, he was, a, he was a scribe who wrote copies. We call these today manuscripts. That's what he did, he wrote copies of the first five books. He also authored, God inspired him through the Holy Spirit, superintended the process of him writing four books, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Ezra also, as many scholars think, wrote Psalm 119, that 176-verse psalm, an acrostic, built on the Hebrew alphabet to help memorize many believe that Ezra wrote that for the people of Israel and that he's responsible for establishing synagogues that became a place to worship instead of having to go all the way to Jerusalem synagogues all throughout the land of Israel so an incredible man with an incredible legacy but I want us to really find out what was so special about Ezra Why was the good hand of God upon him? And we find that answer in Ezra 7, verse 10. And listen, if you're hoping to come and hear some sophisticated message, I'm going to disappoint you. What I have today is a very simple message. Even James over here could do this message. It's a simple message. The problem is, we just don't do it. So what I want us to do, I want us to look at the life of Ezra in this verse. I want us to see three keys, three keys to living a life that God blesses. And this can be done by anybody sitting in this room as we go back and dive into verse 10. And the first thing I want you to see, the first key that I want you to note is that you must seek God's word. You must desire it. If you go back and look at that verse the Bible says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord for us to study God's Word, to read God's Word. Ezra set his heart to do that. I think everyone in this room would agree that without question, America is becoming more ignorant and more illiterate when it comes to God's in fact, the recent studies that I just read, 25%, only 25% of evangelical Christians read their Bible daily. So one out of four. So he doesn't read, he doesn't read, she doesn't read, she reads. And on and on and go. Twenty-five. Only 25% read their Bibles. Evangelical Christians who come to church, who claim to be a Christ follower. In fact, many do not even look at their Bible until Sunday when it's time for the sermon. The number one predictor, and I have read study after study after study. The number one predictor of a person's spiritual health is whether or not they read the Bible on a daily basis. And I have read study after study that says the same thing. It is the number one predictor. And so if you're not spending time daily in God's word, then you're not healthy and you're not growing. It's just that simple. I love what the writer of Hebrews said. And without faith, it is impossible. It's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who, what, seek him. And i can give you verse after verse throughout the Bible saying the same thing. And I love what Howard Hendricks, anything by him is worth your time. One cannot spiritually grow apart from a commitment to the Word of God. You just can't do it. It's impossible to do. You can't grow in your faith and your walk with Christ if you don't. Read his word. You can't do it. So, some of you out there may not have that daily time in God's word, and it may be because you just don't have the habit. I want to help you this morning, all right? I'm going to give you some simple suggestions, what I call some simple tips to help your daily time in God's word. Because, see, I want this to be not something you do when you just think about it or have a chance or your schedule allows I want you to develop a discipline in you to spend time in God's word so I'm going to give you some tips it's real easy first of all you need to have a proper period there needs to be a time where you set aside each day to read God's word now let me give you some some suggestions don't pick a time where there's a lot of distractions some of you with children trying to get them to school, hey, it's a fire drill in the morning. That's all it is. Don't you? It may not be your best time. Also, you need to know if you're a morning person or a night person. For me, I hate the morning. I absolutely despise it. I hit my snooze alarm at least three or four times. My wife can agree to test to that or give testimony to that, I should say. I don't like it. But some of y'all are getting up by the time I'm going to bed. I'm a night person. You know what? I've tried to do my quiet time in the morning. All I do is make everybody miserable. So I do my quiet time at night. That's what works best for me. You need to find the best time. That's the key. What is your best time of the day that you can spend reading God's word? We must have that desire to seek God's Word. We've got to set aside a time to do that. Find your best time. What is the right period? Also, you need to have the proper preparation. You need to be physically and mentally alert. For some of you, that means three or four cups of coffee before you start. And that's okay. That's okay. But you need to be also morally pure and clean. You may need to spend some time in prayer, confessing your sins before you start time in his word. You know the old saying that this Bible will keep you from your sin and sin will keep you from this Bible. Don't let unconfessed sin keep you from spending time in God's word. All of us are sinners. We've all made mistakes. Hey, just pray. Ask God's forgiveness. Get in his word. So you need to have that, that proper period, that proper period preparation you also need to have a proper place a place where you set aside to read god's word it may be a kitchen table it may be going in early at work for anybody gets there and doing it at your desk it may be uh, some other area in your house Uh, i I don't know it may be outside on your porch if you have or deck or something like that you just need to find a place you need to set aside that place as your place your place where you're going to seek god every day Now, listen, if your place is stretched out on the couch with covers on you, probably not a good place. Find you a place, find you a place where you can get along and seek God. So you need to have that proper period, that proper preparation, that proper place. And you also need to have proper provisions. You need the right tools. You need the right tools to have an effective time in reading God's word. And so what I tell people all the time, find you a version of the Bible that's readable and understandable for you. If you can't understand the King James, don't read it. Read another version. There's plenty of great versions. New Living Translation, New L- NLT is a great one, a really easy one to read. But find, a, find one that you can read that's understandable. And also have you a notebook or some way to record because if the God who spoke the universe into existence gives you something in your quiet time it's probably worth your time to write it down don't you agree so be prepared have the tools that you need and and reading plans listen just go to google type in bible reading plan hundreds will come up find you a plan that works for you but you also need the proper procedure And I don't think there's any magical one, two, three, four, five step here. I think it's you need to pray before you start. Pray if there's unconfessed sin in your life, but also pray that that God would speak to you today, that God would reveal something to you today. And then read. Read God's word. You don't have to read the whole book. Maybe it's 10 verses. Maybe it's a chapter, whatever. But read and then go back and meditate. Think about what you've just read. Chew on it. That's what meditation means. It means to chew on it. And then record. if if, If God says something to you, if there's a sin that God wants you to deal with or promise to claim or whatever it might be, write it down. God's given you something. And then whatever God's given you, you apply it to your life. You do it. That's real simple. I want you to get into God's word. I want you to be like Ezra. Ezra said God's hand was upon him because he had, he had set his heart to study, study God's word. And Dwight L. Moody said at best. The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. There's a lot of people that are very smart that have head knowledge about the word but it's never got here the whole purpose to get into God's word is so that we can become more like him that we can be conformed to the image of Christ that we can live a life that reflects what being what's being uh, taught in this book so get into God's word you may want to write down Joshua 1.8 it's a great verse to memorize let me read it to you do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. So the, the hand of God was on Ezra. He had a life that God blessed. Why? Because he had this desire to seek, to study God's word. But not only did he have this desire to study God's word, We also see the second thing, show God's word, do it. If you go back and look at that verse again, the Bible says that Ezra set his heart to do it. What? The word of the Lord. I love what A.W. Tozer said, scripture learned is useless until it is lived. I've heard it said many different ways What you live is the only part of the Bible that you believe. See, so many of us, we like certain parts of the Bible. That's good. We can do that. Other parts, we don't like so much. A lot of us have these uh, magical highlighters and erasers. We go in and highlight the verses that we really like and erase the ones we don't like. No, we need to be someone who understands and lives out God's Word. Oswald Chambers says the golden rule for understanding in spiritual matters is not intellect but obedience and that's really what I'm talking about when it says that Ezra set his heart to do it he was a person being obedient to God's word I love what Christ said in Luke 11 but he said blessed are those who hear the word but not just hear the word but also keep the word and it's absolutely foolish now listen to me it is foolish for any of us sitting in this room to believe that God is going to bless your life when you are living in direct disobedience it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and some of you may live in what can be best described as partial obedience. You do some things, but not everything. Listen, that's nothing more than disguised disobedience. God is not going to bless your life if you're living in, in direct opposition to what his word says. Not going to happen. What's the simple definition of obedience? Here's one. Here's what I think biblical obedience is. It's real simple. It's the daily living of God's Word. It's waking up on a Monday and saying, I'm going to live according to God's Word. I'm going to wake up on Tuesday, and I'm going to live according to God's Word. And I'm going to wake up on Wednesday, and I'm going to live according to God's Word. That's what biblical obedience is. Not being selfish, not being self-centered, not not everything all about me. It's all about Him, and I'm going to live a life that reflects that. And a couple things just to... Give you about obedience. Uh, obedience to God proves our love for Him. It proves our love for Him. You ought to write right beside that John fifteen ten. Let me read that verse for you. It says, "If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love." So obedience. When you live that life of obedience, you're proving that you love God. He is your Savior. Also, obedience to God demonstrates our faith in him. Demonstrates our faith. You ought to write down 1 John 2, 5 and 6. But if anyone obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So if we obey his word, it says we're complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know that we live as he lived. But also, obedience to God keeps us on his path. Keeps us on his path. Again, you ought to write down John 8, 51. Christ says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. And of course, Christ is talking about a spiritual death because those who are in Christ, death is just a transition from this world to the next. Christ says, if you keep my words, you will never see death. So let me give you a real long definition of obedience. This is a mouthful, but I want you to take time to write this down. Because this is probably the best thing I can say about obedience. True, True obedience to God means doing what he says, when he says it, for whatever reason he says it, as long as he says it, until what he says is accomplished. Now that's a mouthful, but that is so good. Obedience is doing what God says when he says it, for whatever reason God says it. Sometimes we don't understand why God has us doing what we're doing. We don't understand his plan. We can't see it from this side of eternity. Doing it for as long as he says it until what he says is accomplished. So the hand of God was upon Ezra. He lived a life that God blessed because he had that desire to seek God's word. He also had that desire to do God's word, to show God's word. But that's not all. If we keep reading that verse, we also see that Ezra shared God's word. He declared it. He was a teacher. The Bible says again, the last part of verse ten, Ezra set his heart to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I know some of you are saying oh well good here's finally one key that doesn't apply to me because I am not a teacher I don't teach a class on Sunday morning or Sunday night I don't do Bible studies I'm not a teacher so I'm off the hook wrong every one of you in this room is a teacher you're teaching something with your life and what you don't understand maybe is that It is actually commanded by Jesus. As Christians, every one of us is called to teach, to declare the good news. You may say, well, well, listen, I don't know where it says in the Bible that I'm commanded to teach. How about the Great Commission? You You may have heard of that one before. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so many times we stop right there. That's the Great Commission. Well, it is, but it's not the full Great Commission. You see, after it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, comma, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You ought to underline that part. That's kind of the forgotten part of the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, One of my professors, Ed Stetzer, I love what he said. He said, God has made relationships, his chosen delivery system for the gospel of hope. In other words, those people that are around you, God expects you to be one that delivers the good news of the gospel to them. Well, kind of finish early because I have a reason. I want to move to application. I'm not going to give you some questions to ponder, and there's nothing wrong with that. But as I studied this lesson, I just felt God moving me to not just end there, but to give you a challenge. It's called the three two, one challenge. Write that down. I I want you to write down what I'm getting ready to tell you. Okay? Take part of this. If we're going to live a life that God blesses, if if we're going to live a life that God's hand is upon us, if we're going to be one who, who sees God's word, who shows God's word, who shares God's word, then we've got to get serious about our walk with Christ. And you can do that by doing this three, two, one challenge. And You may say, "Well, what is that?" Well, let me show you the first part of it. Pray, pray for three family members or friends that are far from God. Now, listen, you hadn't got to think hard about that. Just as I was reading that statement to you, names started popping. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe a set parent that you've got to know on the ball field or at dance recital. Maybe it's somebody at school. But three people that you know that are far from God. Write their names down. Don't just stick this in your bulletin and not do it. Or stick it in your Bible and not do it. Write them down. So the first part of the 3-2-1 challenge, pray for three family names, members or friends that are far from God. Just Put their name down on, that, on those lines and begin to pray. Pray, pray, pray. And then the second part of this challenge is care. Care for two of them in intentional ways. And what I mean by that is I want you to not just talk to them whenever you run into them, but spend intentional time building relationships with that person. I want you to, to listen to their stories. I want you to hear about their needs. I want you to serve them like Christ served others, but intentionally, intentionally care for them. And then the last one of the 3--1 challenge is for one, for you to share your story and God's story with one. I don't know who of those three that's going to be, but you pray pray you build these relationships you pray for god to give you a chance to share your story and to share god's story with them and you may say well shannon i'm not sure about my story what is my story sometimes we call that a testimony your story is real simple it's got three elements it's about your life before you receiving jesus christ what was your life like before christ came in for some of you that were very young when you gave your life to Christ, you may, you may just say, hey, listen, I grew up in church. That's how, that's how I was raised. But some of, us, some of us also know what it's like to be broken, for our lives to be a mess. Tell about that. Show them that you're real. What's your life before receiving Christ? The second thing is, how did I come to know Christ. I tell people all the time, for me, I played the church game my whole life. I had everybody fooled. Everybody was fooled by how I lived, but God wasn't fooled. I was just playing a game. In 1990, I quit playing that game. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, and I was changed. It's the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. So how did you come to know Christ? And then third component is, how does Jesus make my life meaningful? Now that I'm a Christ follower, now that the Holy Spirit of God has indwelt in me, now that I'm one who's put my faith and trust in Christ, how does that make a difference? And I always tell people, I don't know how you can get through life without Christ. He is my anchor. He's my rock. So learn how to share your story. And listen, every one of you have a story. It can't be argued. It can't be disputed. It can't be debated because it's your story. I can't look at Larry Ashworth and say, your story is not true. No, because it's his story. So share your story. Share your testimony. Get comfortable with it where you can customize it and you can share it in three minutes, four minutes, whatever you have. But get Comfortable sharing your story but not only sharing your story you also need to learn how to share God's story and there's a lot of ways to do that you may have one, you may use the victory sports bracelet and that is great, that's fine but I'm going to give you one that I just learned one that's called the three circles life conversation guide and I'm going to just walk through this presentation and I'm going to show you how simple it is and listen You may, when I get through, you may go, well, there's just no way I can remember all that. Good, because we have Bible booklets, these little booklets out in the lobby. Because I'm just going to go, I'm just going to walk through this booklet. You're going to see it on the screen, but I'm going to walk through it. But even better than that, there is a phone app. How about that? So what I'm fixing to show you, you will have on your phone to show somebody else. With all the things you need to say. Just type in, go to the App Store. Type in three circles, life conversation guide, and the boom, free. Doesn't cost you one thing. Now, some of you aren't real phone savvy, so that's why I said the booklet. We got booklets out in the lobby. Some of you like, I don't even know what an app is, but the, a lot of people do. So load it. So let me walk through. Let me just kind of give you this presentation, real simple. Here's God's story. We live in a broken world surrounded by broken lives, surrounded by broken relationships, broken systems. The brokenness is seen in so many areas of our life. It's seen in the suffering and the violence and the poverty and the pain and the death that's all around us. And brokenness leads us to search for a new way to make life work. But you see, In contrast to this brokenness, we also see the beauty of this world, the purpose, the evidence of a design around us, God's design. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly, a world where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. The Bible says in Genesis: 131, God saw all that He had made, and He said it was very good. Psalm 19:1: "The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the handiwork of His hands." So God's design was good, and he made this design. He made it for each of us with a purpose, a purpose to worship Him and to walk with Him. But see? Life doesn't work when we ignore God and his original design. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way. And the Bible calls this sin. We all sin and distort this original design of God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The consequences of our sin is separation from God, separation in this life and in the life to come for all eternity. The Bible also says, for the wages of sin is death. And see, sin will lead us from God's design to a place of brokenness. And we see this all around us and in our lives as well. The Bible says in Romans one twenty five, they exchange the truth of God for a lot. They worship and serve something created instead of the creator. So when we realize life is not working, when we're in this state of brokenness, we begin to look for a way out. And that's all the squiggly lines you see there. We're trying to get out of this brokenness and we're going in our own direction. And we're trying this thing and this thing and, and nothing is working. We're still broken. See, brokenness leads us to a place of realizing a need for something greater. And as we try to get out of this brokenness, reminded of what it says in Proverbs there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So at this point, we're in this state of brokenness. What is the answer? What is the provision? What is the remedy? What is the solution? Well, I got some good news. It's called the gospel. Because of his love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came and lived to a perfectly according to God's design. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ came to rescue us. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin. He took our shame to the cross, paying the penalty of our sin by his death. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of debt and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Jesus was then raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to relationship with Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. But see, simply hearing the good news that's not enough. We must admit our brokenness, our sin. We must stop trusting in ourselves. We don't have the power on our own. We must be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us, turning from our sin to trust only in Jesus. And that is what it means to repent and believe. The Bible says in Mark 1 repent and believe in the good news. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you are saved by grace through your faith. It is not of your works, it is God's gift, not for anyone to boast. Repent and believe. See, by believing, by repenting and believing, we receive a new life through Jesus Christ, and God turns our lives in a new direction the bible says if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you shall be saved romans 10 9 and when god restores our relationship to him we begin to discover meaning and purpose in the broken world that we live in and now we can begin to pursue god's design in all areas of our life The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to to desire and to work out his good purpose. And even when we fail and we still will fall, we understand God's pathway to be restored. It's the same good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's spirit empowers us to recover his design and assures us of his presence in, the, in this life and for the life to come. And then not only does that, ha, it's real simple, not only do we have that, you also have some questions that you might want to ask the person that you're talking to. Someone that you've gone through this thing and listen, you just go, all I did was just read you what's in this booklet. You ain't got to memorize it. Just kind of read it. It's all there. But when you get through you need somebody, you want to make sure they have a chance to respond to, the, to God's story. With statements like, you know what, uh, you, you can talk to him using words like this, my life is broken. I recognize it because of my sin. I need you. I believe that Jesus Christ came to live and die and was raised from the dead to rescue me from sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. Now, listen, I just learned this this week. I've seen these books laying around, kind of thumped up, but you know, I kind of got my, my little way of sharing the gospel. But you know what? I'm always up to learn something. And God wants you to share your story and to share God's story. And you need to get comfortable being able to do that. Again, spend some time in this book. Listen, how much time do you spend on your phone? Pop that app up. Use it. Look at it. Get comfortable with it. God may give you a chance at a lunch with a coworker. And all of a sudden, all you got to do is pop out your phone. Let me show you something. You know, God's hand was on Ezra. He lived a life that God blessed because, first of all, he knew God. And I want to ask you this morning, as you've seen this simple presentation, are you really and truly saved? I'm not talking about are you a good person. I'm not talking about if you've been baptized. I'm not talking about if you go to church. I'm asking you, have you been born again? Some of you sitting there as I was going through this You know what? You may realize my life is broken. I'm still broken. And I've never given my life to Christ. I've been coming to church, but I've never made that decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. Today can be that day. You just need to go back there to that connect room. Somebody would love to sit down and talk to you and share with you more fully what it means to know Christ. Here's another question for you to think about as we leave. Are you available for daily time with God? Or is your life so cluttered? Is your schedule so jam-packed? You don't have time for God. Well, let me help you there also. It's time to go back and reprioritize the things you are doing in your life. Nothing is more important than spending time with God. Are you fully obedient to him? Is your life, is your, the, all of your life on the altar for Jesus Christ or are you holding some things back remember partial obedience is only nothing more than disguised disobedience are you willing are you willing to be used by the Lord to declare his good news Are you willing for Christ to bless you to have a life where his hand's upon, a life that he is using to change the life of others? Good. Three, two, one, challenge. That's the answer. I've given you a simple tool. Now do it. Do it. This world, the only hope for this world is Jesus Christ. And those friends... And those family members and those coworkers that we have that are far from God, they're going to spend an eternity in hell unless someone tells them about Christ. And they come to an understanding of who Christ is. So live a life. Live a life that makes a difference. So finally, are you willing to experience a life of blessing? A life where God's hand rests upon you by seeking by showing, and by sharing Jesus each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for just a simple, simple message. Father, so often we just, um, <laughs> we make things complicated. And that's what I love about your word. It's so simple that a child can read it and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, it's not the things that we don't understand that, We should be concerned about the things that we do understand and don't do. So, Father, I pray that we would live a life, a life that would honor you by seeking your word, having that desire to get into your word each and every day. I pray that we would live a life that lives out the word of God, that people see it wherever we go. And I pray that we live a life that would share God's... God's word, God, the good news, your story, God's story. I pray, Lord, you give us opportunities. Burn those three names that we've written down on this sheet into our heart so that we'll pray passionately, fervently for them. These friends that we've got, these family members that we have, they're going to spend an eternity in hell unless Jesus Christ rescues them. So pray, Lord. I pray. I pray. Father, I pray that uh, we would walk out of this sermon with a challenge. Father, I pray this, this, would, this would stay with us for the rest of the week. We need to get serious about sharing our story. Some of us, we've never even thought about our testimony, much less written it down or, or, can, or can tell it to someone. We need to get more comfortable. We need to find ways to invest, build relationships, to serve others, these that we care so much about. So, Father, I pray that we'll walk away with a challenge, a challenge that we won't just set aside and say, you know, that was pretty cool, but a challenge that we will do. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen.